Welcome back to the cupping room in World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason for another OMN Coffee Shop Conversation. I'm Tom D'Antoni, and taking a minute off from the endless road is John Averill, one of the founding members of March 4th, the giant endless party since March the 4th, 2003, when they formed to play. Before going back out on the road in their bus full of 20 musicians, dancers, and other creative folks, John was kind enough to take a few minutes out to come here and tell us about Magic Number, their new album, which was recorded in New Orleans and produced by Galactic's Ben Elman. They're also in town to play their album release at Revolution Hall on Friday, October 28th. If you've ever marched behind them in Portland or just heard them play, you know how much Portlanders love their March 4th. Here's John Averill. John, welcome to World Cup Coffee and Tea. Uh, great to be here. You and how long are you in town for? <laughs> uh, flying out tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. for a one-off in Kansas City where they're renting all the back line, that sort of deal. Really? We fly back Sunday night. <laughs> but we just got off like a five-week tour like four days ago. Five weeks. But after this weekend, we're, we're off for about a month. So, wow. So November is going to be great. Get some downtime. What's that going to be like? Well, I'm hoping to actually get working on writing new music. I'm hoping that the yeah. silence, you know, gives some space for that. Because, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, even though we just put out a new record, you know, uh, a lot of the songs in that record we've been playing live for four or five years. So, <laughs> you know. I mean, well, it's always that way. Yeah. It's always yeah. that way. But, you know, there's a, there's a value to that. Um, uh-huh. Because a lot of times, you know, someone will bring a song in. We'll work it out. We'll go play it live, but it's not after we've played it like six or seven times that you yeah. start noticing. Oh, can I do? You know, I'll say I'll, I'm going to do this on the bass here for that. Tr- I'm going to do uh-huh. this this transition here, or we'll tweak yeah. the arrangement there. And yeah. I think this really, you know, a lot of times when you have demos and you go right into the studio, um, there isn't that time to let the song kind of breathe, and then you'll play it later on. Like, why didn't I think of that? You know, back when I was in the studio. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm doing this really cool thing over this part, which would have made it sound better in the record. But yeah. so the record we have now, I think there's like three or four of the songs were written right before before we went into the studio wow. and you know we had just enough time to to play them yeah. uh, you know a few times yeah. and get in there and, yeah. yeah but what is that one tune that that was the most requested of all time of yours oh god i can't think of the name of it i can hear it in my head but i can't think of the name of it it was from from the early days oh most requested song of all time absolutely is everybody that, always wanted to hear it it's on. Is it on this record? No. Oh, no, you probably way think. Back. Are you? Th- well, was it the one we had in, in Monsters University, the Gospel, the Rise no, Rise of No, no. I mean, when you first started, and it was on the first album. Oh, probably Space Hole. Space Hole. Yeah. Space Hole. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Robin, our, <laughs> our our original tenor sax player, wrote that, and I think he actually entered it in a few different contests and won like some songwriting awards. But that was everybody's that favorite tune. tune. Yeah, we played the hell out of it for 10 years. <laughs> it's kind of, uh, we don't play it much anymore. Yeah. Um, occasionally, we'll, we'll bust it out. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, before we get into other stuff, let's talk about this album and, 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 and the gig and all that. Um, why, did you, why did you decide to do it in New Orleans? Um, that really came about because uh, Anthony Mead, who I was uh-huh. going to be with earlier, um, he uh, he's a trombone player. He's been in the band about four years, and he's just become like our most prolific songwriter. You uh-huh. know, he's just he's writing, 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 and we started talking about making a new record. And 
you know, a lot of times I get my hands full with just keeping this thing together and keeping the roster on the road and all that stuff. And so he took it upon himself to do some research um, on producers who he liked the sound that they were getting out of horns. Uh-huh. And um, I thought that was great to come from a horn player really, yeah. you know, can listen to the deep, you know, with that detail of yeah. um, how horns are, uh, you know, mic'd and mixed. Uh-huh. And he really liked the work that Ben Elman was doing with Galactic and Trombone Shorty. And who doesn't? Yeah, it's great. So he reached out to Ben, and um, once he got Ben's attention and his interest, then I sort of took over from there and just scheduled yeah. it. And we just happened to have, you know, we were talking about, oh, you know, should we fly him up here to Portland to get a studio? Uh-huh. Or, you know, this brand new studio just opened up in New Orleans called The Parlor. You know, oh, it has it had one of those old Neve boards in the whole nine yards. Beautiful studio. Where is um, it? It's, uh, it's in the magazine uh-huh. district. And I mean, I think since then, I think Lettuce recorded their recent uh-huh. album there, if I'm not mistaken. I bought my first Maybe hat down on Magazine Street. My first what? Hat. Hat. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of good hats. 1971. Wow. <laughs> and um, a matching seersucker suit. Yeah, I have one of those too. <laughs> yeah. They're great suits. They travel well. You don't, yeah. you know, requires no ironing. Uh-huh. The perfect travel suit for the summer, really. <laughs> not that I wear a lot of suits, but. Um, I've got anyway, some, I've got so some wedding mileage out of mine. Um, <laughs> so it's on Magazine Street, and it's it. Uh, uh, what's what's it got? I mean, wh- why do you like it? Well, it's uh, it's got one big main room, which is really comfortable, where we set up all the drums in uh-huh. and all the percussion, and then um, and it's got three isolation booths with you know windows, you know double paned windows, obviously for soundproofing, but you know facing into the main room and there's also windows between the isolation booths so uh-huh. literally everybody can see everybody and so um and just the way they have it set up they've got great microphones there and then the, in the control room they have like i mentioned they had the neve and then um it was a very spacious room people might not know what that is it's just a mixing console that's that's pretty famous it's an yeah. old old analog board that a lot of uh-huh. you know there's a if you watch uh, dave grohl's yeah documentary did mm-hmm. on what's it called sound city is that it uh-huh yeah, there's everything you want to know about the Neve is in that documentary. <laughs> but they have one there, and um, just great isolation rooms. Um, then there's, like, a nice lounge and, and a kitchen area, and we, you know, parked our bus in the lot there. Yeah. Um, and then by this by and a it m- and miracle. it wasn't towed away. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was in the lot. It was in the lot. It's we hard were, not to get towed away in New Orleans. Well, if you're not... <laughs> No one's going to tell you out of a driveway unless you're in the wrong driveway. Yeah, you take your chance on the street. But um, I always think it's pretty ambitious um, if people want to tow a you know 45 foot bus. Anyhow, uh, it was one miraculous thing that happened was uh, Michelle, our alto sax player, uh-huh. she was living five doors down from the studio. Wow. I mean, I knew she lived in New Orleans, but when I uh-huh. called her and said, "Hey, we're thinking about recording this in New Orleans." Uh, this place called the parlor do you know where that is and she looks it up she's like it's five doors down from my house i had no idea it was there because you know most studios are nondescript on the outside for good reason and so it was perfect so we ended up renting her house out instead of you know trying to find an airbnb or obviously we can't afford hotel rooms you know so so we went down there uh lived in her house in our bus in the studio for just 10 days and you know pretty much got a track you know, we average a track a day. We got actually we got eleven tracks done. We have a, a bonus track that we did a one take of yeah. um, that we're going to save for like a digital download or something. Hmm. But so, what was it like working with Ben Elman of Galactic? It was great. It was great. Um, you know, it was nice to work with the producer. So it sort of eliminated some of the political aspects of choosing songs. In the uh, past, I would. Oh, yeah 
say these are the songs we're going to do based on wanting to make sure everybody who was a songwriter had one of their songs on there. Uh-huh. I mean, even the last disc that we made with Steve Berlin, you know, we both kind of picked the tunes, and then when it came time, we went to make vinyl, and vinyl, you can't have as many songs on the record. Yeah. It's got to be like 22 minutes per side. So when we made the vinyl for the Magnificent Beast record that uh-huh. came out five years ago, we actually had to cut two tunes, and he wanted me to cut a couple songs that were written by people who had only had one song on the record. Oh, boy. And because I was going to live with these people on the bus, yeah. and I didn't want to get a bunch of flack, I vetoed that and instead cut one of my songs and cut one of the cover tunes, and he told me I was making a big mistake. Whatever, it's not, you know. Yeah. Maybe I did. But I'm glad that's different now because I pretty much gave Ben Elman the full control to decide which songs he thought were the strongest, which ended up being the same ones I thought were the strongest, too. We were on the same oh, page good. there. Um, and we kind of gave him license to, you know, experiment with uh, textures of, you know, rhythmic textures and drum sounds and things like that. Um, actually, Count, um, the engineer, he sort of was a, he's a drum first kind of guy. And yeah. Ben, you know, is a, is a horn player. So between the two of them, you know, I think the beats came out really interesting uh-huh. and very fat. And uh-huh. the recordings went, you know, everything was captured really well. They had a... You know, we played everything live together, um, so they had the, all the drums and me on bass. Of course, my amp was down the hall in yeah. a separate room, but we all had our own headphone mixes that we could control the exact mix that we wanted. All the horn players had their own mixes, so we played everything live, and then we just, wow. I think we tracked all the basic tracks for 10 songs in like seven days, and then we did, you know, overdubs and solos and vocals um, for the last couple days, uh-huh. and uh uh-huh. It was one of the really neat things they had there was they had uh, some mics set up in this giant empty room uh-huh. just so they could capture, basically it was just the natural reverb of all the instruments yeah. so that they used to mix in later without like, you know, adding like digital reverb to it or adding wow. a reverb effect. They just actually mixed in this room where it had this really wow. nice echo and you can hear it on a few things like the very last track, which is that, you know, just the horn piece called Endless Highway. It's just sort of, uh-huh. it's kind of a chorale horn thing. You can really hear that. That resonance. It sounds like a symphony. It sounds like there's you know yeah. thirty horns playing. Wow. But yeah. Why? It was great working with him. He's a really cool guy, and um, he was very relaxed. And you know mm-hmm. he really didn't he didn't mess at all with our arrangements. Everything that we had going in there was what we had written, what we'd arranged. Um, yeah, I went back to New Orleans a few weeks later after we'd done the sessions, and just to do like a quick overdub on something, and. Uh, he was like, hey, check this out. I played this harmonica solo over this song. Just, you know, I just thought it might be cool. What do you think? And I was just like, holy crap, that sounds awesome. So, <laughs> oh, that reminds me. <clears throat> I reached out, you know, David Lipkind is? Sure. Yeah, I reached out to him about doing a harmonica solo at our uh, CD release party That's in a great. couple of weeks, and I forgot I haven't sent him the track. Do you know what yet. he claims? Hmm? Do you know what he claims? He claims. Is it related to Norton Buffalo? No, that he jammed with William Burroughs. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. I want to believe it. Absolutely. I believe him. I well, think because he, he, he was at from the Midwest, Kansas. right? He was at University of Kansas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I know. Uh, uh, David's from the Midwest, so that doesn't yeah. surprise me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he was in one of my favorite bands of all time, Spigot. Yeah, I never. I never saw them. Oh man. They had a lead singer and songwriter named Nan Alleman, mm. who was the quirkiest songwriter and the quirkiest singer you've ever seen in your whole life. <laughs> who no longer performs. She moved to Montana or somewhere and had a baby and stuff. She came back about a year, year and a half ago, just for a little reunion and just blew everybody away and then went back. Wow. <laughs> Lipkin. I love Lipkin. He's terrific. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah. 
Because um, he was in the, I, I can lick any son of a bitch in the house. He was in that band. Yeah, I remember yeah. those guys. <laughs> I saw him at Dante's one time. Yeah. That was their home. I, I love that name. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't matter really matter what they played. I mean, of course, they could play, but right. it was one of the greatest names for a band ever Oh, I thought history. so, too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, was it like working with, uh, what'd you do with Stanton Moore and Trombone Shorty? Um, well, uh, Stanton actually came in when we were there. Uh-huh. That was a cool moment. So we basically, we'd already recorded the track. It was pretty, our drums had finished the track and then, um, we scheduled him to come in and take a pass at it. Uh-huh. So we set up a kit for him. He played along with the track that we had recorded and, uh, cause we did everything with a click. So it was really easy to lock in and, uh. Yeah, it was cool. He had a different interpretation of yeah. the groove and the feel of that song. And so Ben, uh, he kind of mixed between the two a little bit really? on the record. So what you're hearing, you're hearing Stanton play on certain parts, and then it comes to a couple parts where he breaks it down, he, and he brings in our session or some of the drums from that. Wow. So it has a, it has a cool effect. And, and you know, since then, live, it's really become one of our, our best songs because the, uh-huh. the, song, the version we have on the record just kind of fades out. Yeah. After like two and a half, it's like the shortest song on there. Uh-huh. But live, we add like two very long, two or three very long solos. There'll be a berry solo. Uh-huh. It'll break down just a berry solo. Then we'll build up out of that, and there'll be a trombone solo. And then Paul, who wrote the song, will come in and do a tr- trumpet solo. So, wow. so live, the song ends up being about eight minutes long. That's great. Um, and it's fun because it, we, there is a lot of improvisation going on. Because what I do on bass, we all drop out the, except for the minimal percussion soloist starts doing their thing and then I start listening to what they're doing and start kind of playing off of them and then we yeah. kind of build out of that and those are always the more fun moments for me well as, and, and as far as the, the listener goes there's something that just something that happens yeah to you when the, when the bass drops out right something goes boom in, inside you it just that's really that is I talk to uh, so many people who are not musicians but just who are fans it's that moment when the, when when the, when the uh, when the bass drops out that like, oh, you know, yeah. and then when it comes back in, that's another big moment. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it reminds true. me of a joke. You know, okay. Hey, John, it's really great when the bass drops out. Could you not come back again? We were really liking that <laughs> lack of bass. Sort of, we could all kind of relax. It reminds me of this joke. There's, I don't know how it goes exactly, but there's some guy that goes uh, to an island and he hears these drums playing. Uh-huh. After a couple of days on the island, the drums haven't stopped. You know, and he asks one of the locals, like, "Hey, what's up with these drums? You know, did they go on forever?" He's like, "Oh, drums stop very bad, very bad when drums stop." He's like, "Okay, well, that's weird." A few more days go by and, and the drums still haven't stopped. And he's like, uh, "You know, you know, are the drums ever going to stop?" And, and the guy's like, "Nope, drums stop very, very bad." Uh-huh. And he's finally, after a week, he can't take it anymore. He's like, well, you know, what's going on? You have to tell me what happens if the drums stop. He's like, bass solo. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) How about Trombone Shorty? What's that? What did Trombone Shorty do? Um, He actually came in after the fact, after we had left town. Ben just scheduled him for... Uh You know, again, we'd had a trombone solo on there, but um, we left it kind of open to him if he wanted to take a stab at it, and um, mm-hmm. and he did, and we kept it, and it's you know, it's great. I think it might have been even greater had he you know, maybe thoroughly listened to it or did a few more passes to know where some of the breaks were. Not that the breaks, yeah, it was bad or awkward, but yeah. I know. I've seen him play several times. I mean, he's just a master. Yeah. He's incredible. Yeah. So he's the kind of guy who can just go in, 
play a track he's never heard before, do a couple takes, and it's going to sound great. Yeah. So yeah. it does sound great, but I also think, you know, if he'd known the song just a little bit more, there could yeah. have been a little more, just some of the covering during the breaks might have been slightly different, but I don't know. I have no complaints. It's great. I was well, just really happy that he wanted to do it at yeah. all. Yeah. And having that name on the album does not hurt. No, and we were, you know, aware of that too, because we really wanted to, ex- we wanted to expand, yeah. you know, we were like, well, we're going to go all the way to New Orleans. You know, we got some great players here, yeah. like... Let's invite him down. Let's bring some of that flavor on, into the record. You know, um, uh, Matt Perrine as well, the tuba player yeah. from um, Bonarama, uh-huh. he came in. And that was a really interesting story for me because we literally recorded every song in about four or five takes. Yeah. And it was the one song, that uh, Science, Free Your Mind, uh-huh. um, which has a definite New Orleans feel. Yeah. Um, you know, it sounds like something you just hear on the on Frenchman or something. Uh-huh. Uh, rec- we recorded... 12 takes of that so I, I play I, I was pretty much done I could have been done playing bass after four or five takes but I sat there and just played 12 takes and I made notes like okay yeah. I like take 11 better than take five or whatever just you know how, what I do after I'm, I'm done playing just you gotta make those notes otherwise you forget uh-huh. um, but then we brought in the tuba player to add that flavor and then we just kind of decided that it just it was a little too busy to have both you know a sousaphone yeah to and, and electric bass so the irony is the track that i played you know the most times in that session there's no bass on it you know which is which was fine with me i just found it funny i mean there was a lot of you know there there was everybody in the band had to kind of make some sacrifices in that way and honestly i don't have any ego about those things i could care less it's just about the record sound i think i I think it's great that we have that in there because it gives a different flavor than, you know, just having bass on another song. And live when we played, of course, I play the bass, and it sounds completely different. It's got a big right. yeah. sing-along part, and et cetera. <laughs> but. Um, speaking of, uh, of, of playing live, what's coming up on the 28th? Um, we're, we're, we are doing two shows at Revolution Hall, um, uh-huh. I think like a 5 o'clock, and then like Kind a of a pre-Halloween costume yeah, party Yeah, yeah, and it's, yeah. it's also a CD release party. Yeah. Um, but since it's Halloween weekend, we're encouraging, you know, costumes i mean when we tour around the country a lot of people show up in costumes anyway no matter what day of the week it is just because that's and we actually you know like that because it's it's really fun yeah um just having that sort of party atmosphere um yeah we're playing two shows and uh uh yeah i'm pretty excited about it you know i i like i think the version of the band that i have right now is the best version i've ever had is that right oh definitely how many pieces we are touring with 12 musicians at this point. Wow. So we, seven horns, and then our Barry Sachs player also plays guitar. He sort of splits between. And then yeah. sometimes our alto player will play Barry while we have the guitar, so we kind of mix How it up. How do the horns break down? Uh, two trombones, two trumpets, alto sax, tenor sax, Barry sax, yeah. and guitar. And then I play electric bass, and then we've got a uh, uh, bass drummer, snare, uh, congas and cymbal but now we've got this whole percussion tree so uh-huh. it's really our, our drum cores become sort of a drum percussion core because sometimes our bass drummer will be playing you know just the you know the, the bass drum part on his left hand and uh-huh. then he'll be playing some polyrhythm on the on the drum tree or the uh-huh. you know jam blocks or whatever on another hand so yeah. we, we've it's interesting because no you're fine oh Am I back? You're back. 
Um, it's interesting because when I put the band together, you know, I didn't know any horn players 13 years ago. We had 10 drummers, four <laughs> horns, one of which was a flute, you know, me on bass, and that was the beginning of the band. And in the next three years, we spent, you know, building a horn section, so we yeah. grew to like 12 horns, 10 drums, and me. And then we became a touring band six years ago. You yeah. know, people weren't able to tour as much. The band naturally got smaller, and yeah. then we kind of streamlined to five drummers and seven horns. But then recently... And it really, it's a lot of it is financial. We're just having a really hard time keeping this thing going. There's not, yeah. you know, there's so many mouths to feed and all this stuff. So we streamlined to four drummers, but we're finding those the the groove is tighter. Just having uh -huh. that one extra set of arms not involved, and uh -huh. so we're getting more out of the four drummers we have. Wow. Our pockets are a lot tighter. There's yeah. more space between, uh -huh. you know, the notes and. Uh, um, yeah, it's definitely the tightest version of the band wow. I've ever had. The horn section is is the best. The, the, tr the tr we have this new trumpet player um, mm -hmm. that's you know doing kind of the trumpet one, the high stuff, and yeah. he, his intonation perfectly blends with our our other trump trumpet player, Paul. Uh -huh. And that's one thing I've just discovered over the years is like, you know, you can't really you can get a bunch of great players, but you can't necessarily fabricate chemistry. Right. You know, and intonation and people's yeah. interpretation of like yeah. being in tune and tuning with other people and stuff like that. Right. And I, I, I could hear it on our old recordings. I uh -huh. could hear it in live recordings. And now I'm listening to our live recordings and I'm like, wow, it sounds like one section that's all in tune with each other. Yeah. You know, and yeah. just huh. strange. Wow. Because all it takes is one little thing to go slightly out and things sound yeah. strange, especially, you know, when you've got, you know, 12 piece band, just right. a lot of notes. Do you guys still do any marching? Not really. We actually dropped the marching band from our name about a year ago. Um, this is the first record that we're releasing um, just as March 4th. It's yeah. it, a number of reasons. I mean, if I could go back in time, it, it's a cute story. I mean, like, uh -huh. we named the band after a Fat Tuesday party. We right. put the band together for a party on Fat Tuesday. The yeah. date happened to be March 4th. We thought, what are we going to call this second line March thing that we're going to do? Right. Oh, let's call it March, March 4th. 4th. How perfect, the double <laughs> entendre, triple entendre, whatever. Right. But then I, I just don't think it's helped us. You know, I oh, think being I a local, like, whoa, here's this crazy marching man. For the first three years of the band, we were just this local wacky thing that played everybody's street fair and did yeah. all this stuff, you know, and it was fun. Um, but when we started realizing we wanted to become, you know, more of a legitimate yeah. band, um, we so we get out there six years ago, we got a booking agent. You know, I'd done the booking for the first seven years until I was about to jump off a bridge. We finally got a booking agent who wasn't afraid of our size and realized that we actually have you know, our act together and we actually yeah. know how to tour manage. We know how to get from point A to point B. I'm just like, look, you just book us and we'll let us figure out. So we start touring and, uh, and then we get out there and, and promoters, I talked to him after the show in the middle of the Midwest and 50 people come out to see us. And he's like, yeah, I just, it was so hard to sell you guys <laughs> because I had to explain to them that you weren't a marching band. That you oh, were right, like a high school marching band. That, right? that you Or a college marching band. We <laughs> right, are not right, a marching right. band. Yeah, you know, yeah, We can yeah. be mobile because we have electric bass, yeah. but we really don't do hardly any of that stuff anymore. And right. it, it's fun to play in the streets sometimes, but yeah. saxes don't cut on the streets. You can't hear them. I mean, our show, our show has, we're on risers. We've got you know stationary guitar, right. bass, congas. Yeah. We've got a percussion tree. Yeah. We've got 24 three inputs we've got five you know three vocal mics two horn solo mics i mean our mix is really important it is a stage show it's a that's what it is now and but people did not knowing that they see marching right. band on a poster like why yeah. would i want to spend 20 bucks to see the halftime show of a football game right. i mean if i could go back and do do-overs yeah. i would have named it something totally that had nothing to do with anything like ozo motley or gogo bordello yeah you know it's just this name yeah. and people describe the music and you know so 
our aesthetic looks like mismatched marching bands still. We're still dressing up like, you know, dorks up there with, the, yeah. with you know, the clothing and the hats and whatever. <laughs> um, and the instrumentation, it is similar to a marching band in that we don't have a right. kit player and all the drummers are mobile, and I think yeah. that's unique, you know. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, it's really like, a, you know, a modern modern big band. I mean, I'm reading a lot of these reviews that we're getting on our record and they're describing the band better than I could have described <laughs> it, but that's one of the things that's, you know, but none of ever saying. none of them ever marched behind you on Alberta Street. Alberta. No, those are the days. <laughs> I'm I'm very happy to say I did that many times. Yeah. I mean, there's don't get me wrong, there is something really fun about playing on the street. Yeah. There's an energy that you don't get in, in the stage environment because when you're on the street you're on ground level with people right. and you sort of like feel like you're really interacting with yeah. the people that are dancing in front of you and sometimes it can be dangerous if they don't give you enough space right. and horn players get whacked in the mouth you know that kind of thing but uh, um, but unfortunately unless you're standing right in front of the band or even within that ring of 20 people in, in front of the band right. you're not hearing the mix you're not hearing all the parts the right. energy is there the fun is there yeah. but you, so that's Therefore, that's why, right. you know, stage shows can better, you know, yeah. uh, showcase sonically everything that you're doing. And as well as, you know, when we have the performers come out and do a couple, you know, dance routine kind of things, you can obviously see them more in an elevated environment, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> the band's definitely become uh, less visually oriented and more uh -huh. of a musical, musical experience. Yeah. That's yeah. the uh, feedback I've been getting from promoters lately. It's like, wow, you guys are really evolving musically and, and seems to be less dependent on, yeah. you know, acts and stuff. So it's really right. streamlined. We only travel with like two or three dancers at this point, and they uh -huh. kind of also double helping as crew to help uh -huh. do our merch and you know, help break uh -huh. down our merch because it's quite, a, quite an operation. We really can't afford any, you know, extraneous roadies or crew in the band. We, we travel with, a, you know, a, our own sound tech in front of house. We travel with yeah. the lighting person. Yeah. We have a bus driver. And, and a merch person, but everybody has double duty doing different things. And you know, <laughs> there's 21 of us on a road on the road. That's our total touring. How do you numbers. do that? I don't know, man. I mean, well, by now it's second nature to you. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad. I, I actually enjoy touring. I actually enjoy it. I don't mind the grind. Yeah. You know, if I can, as long as I don't slip under like getting about four hours a night four hours sleep a night uh -huh. that's when you're in trouble if you fatigue yourself to the point of where you're mental, mentally and physically and emotionally exhausted it it messes with your brain and makes you think like this is miserable why am i out here why am i doing this so i realized the solution to that is to just make sure you get six hours sleep yeah. you know a night if you can are there births are there are, how does it how does births that, yeah. there has been no births in the band that i know of no i mean <laughs> in the bus no, no births on the bus. We don't travel with a midwife. No, no. No, I know you're saying um, <laughs> the the bunks. We uh we actually we t we we got our bus. We we gutted it, put it in a kitchen, and then um, Nathan, our uh, <clears throat> bus manager, he's also a, a Finnish carpenter, so he designed the whole thing uh -huh. to where all the four top tables where we sit during the day yeah. they break down into bunks. Uh -huh. So we have like six sleeping spaces that are more or less permanently set up. Mm -hmm. And then we have like a back lounge, a middle lounge, a dining room area, and a front lounge. And then those all convert into bunks. So we could actually sleep 22, 24 people if all the bunks are set up. So people, that, that way people can go to sleep or wake up, you know, or, you know, they can either be at tables or in bunks as needed. So at yeah. nighttime, yeah. generally all the bunks are set up. And then as people wake up during the day, the bunks get broken down into yeah. tables and yeah. people, you know, do their daytime <laughs> activity. But yeah, that's the only way to make it work. I mean, our, our original bus that we took out on our first I remember that tour bus. in 2000. Yeah. yeah, our first bus 
It's 40 feet long. We got it cost $10,000 on eBay. And I was doing the booking, and I booked us a seven-week national tour, not knowing any better, not knowing you should take a break after three weeks. At times, we had 35 people in that oh bus. This is 2007. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we had 35 people at times, 10 bunks. Um, and But we, what we didn't do back in those days is we didn't do the overnighters because just we couldn't sleep everybody so we yeah. would so tours had more days off in between gigs and yeah. we'd do things like you know go camping and stuff like that we still do that we still stay yeah. at rv parks we still we have yeah. a bunch of host families around the country that we stay at <laughs> mm-hmm. you know because we can't afford hotels unless the promoter like throws in hotels as part of the deal yeah. you know which is general which is about 10 maybe five percent of the time yeah. um, otherwise you know we we stay with friends and family <laughs> and go to rv places and you know so but I guess my point is that, you know, that that first bus for ten grand, we we drove it three hundred and fifty thousand miles before it finally gave up the ghost. Wow! You know, and we're now on our third bus, um, and uh, but the point is that by by being able to sleep on the bus overnight, then you really are optimizing the touring. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, you get finish a show, you've got eight hours till you know you you don't want days off every day off that you have on tour right. is a day where you're not making any money. Obviously, you schedule them. Often we, you'll get a Sunday off or a Monday off because they're generally dead days. But, you know, you got to get someplace. The next show is eight hours. You're wrapping up at one in the morning. You drive. And so yeah. our driver will drive three or four hours into the night. Everybody falls asleep. Driver falls asleep. Then he wakes up, you know, six hours later and starts driving in the morning and, and, and finishes and gets us there by two or three o'clock for load in. And, <laughs> And that's just that's just the drill, and, and we wouldn't be able to do that if we weren't able to sleep on our bus. I mean, sometimes we just sleep in truck stops. We don't know where we're going. We, yeah. don't, have, we don't have time to get out and sleep somewhere else, so we sleep on the bus. Driver wakes up, we keep going, and yeah. And then for we sometimes when we have to blast all the way across the Midwest, you know, like uh-huh. our first date is in Philadelphia or something. You know, like yeah. we'll we'll hire two drivers uh-huh. and we'll just bang it out in like two and a half days, you know, <laughs> 16, 20 hours of solid driving. Uh, are, are there any original members in the band other than you? Uh, there's three of us left. Uh-huh. Four. Four. There's myself. There's Dan Stoffer, uh, the cymbal uh-huh. player who yeah. I started the band with, yeah. and uh, who's also our t- tour manager. Uh-huh. And then there's uh, Jenny, our uh, percussion conga uh-huh. snare. She's sort of our Jill of all trades on percussion sort of yeah. person. She's uh-huh. the she's the special sauce of the of the rhythm section. <laughs> she's been in this for 13 years now. Um, and then good old Daniel Lamb on trombone. Daniel Lamb. <laughs> a singular personality. <laughs> yes. <laughs> true, true. You must have some Daniel Lamb stories in you. I know that. You don't have to tell them. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, Daniel and I go way back. Yeah. We got a lot of history at this point. He's, he's, <laughs> he's got a good heart. And I, you know... He's older than me, and he hasn't given up. You know, sometimes, you know, I just wonder, you wonder how long you can do certain things. And sometimes yes. I'm inspired by people that are, you know, in their, in their mid-50s that are still chasing the dream, you know. I wonder that every day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I remember the, the first time we did anything, I did anything with you guys was on, on, on TV. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was on Alberta Street, and then you played a, a um, well. That was one of the the great moments in 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 Portland musical history, 
Because you played out, you, you did the, you marched down Alberta Street, you went down to what, what the um, girding, I mean the um, the armory, and it, and you played a, a a benefit there, and it was gutted. It hadn't even been built yet. The theater hadn't even been built yet, and your 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 base thing that it's uh, what is that? My base amp on a cart. Yeah, the yeah. cart broke. <laughs> of you course. had to fix that, and then <laughs> I don't know who it was. Uh, it, it, it might have been um, Brian Davis or, uh, or somebody uh, from the Lions of Batucada. Uh, they were playing the, uh, the crystal. And you guys marched from, from, from the armory to the crystal, and there was this meeting. I don't know mm-hmm. if you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, this yeah. was this meeting right there uh, in front of the gay bar. There used to be the gay bar there. And, right. Uh, you know, and you got all marched together and, and, uh, and marched in the... That was, what, what was the, that was an amazing moment. It was a yeah. really amazing moment. It really moment. was. Yeah. It was definitely like a crossover <laughs> moment, too. I mean, it's interesting for me to think of what March 4th would have been, March 4th would have been like had the Lions Batucada not existed. Right. Because right. when I put the band together, um, you know, I used to work, I got, I was working at animator at Will Vinton Studios, so I knew this guy named Billy Green, who was an animator, and he yeah. played with the Lions, so he's the one who actually introduced me yeah. to the Lions, and so I would just start following them around and going to parties, and I met some of the people in the band. So I became friends with a lot of people in that band, and then when Billy, you know, you know he, I don't know if you know, he was, you know, right after our animation job in with the PJs, he went to San Francisco and, and he was murdered. Okay. And so I actually flew on the plane with all the lions to fly down for wow. his memorial service that they held on the street in the, um, in the mission district. And this is, this was, he passed, he, he passed away the day before nine 11. Okay. So it was, it was, you know, September 10th. I'm, I'm woke up that morning and I was writing in my September 10th, I find out about Billy. So the next day, I wake up, you know, September 11th. I'm writing in my journal. I remember it vividly because I was moving from one house to another house next door, and I was living. I was painting a room, so I was living in. A, I was just sleeping in a tent. So I'm in, I'm in my tent writing about Billy Green, just kind of yeah. trying to process this. And then my buddy Dan, you know, he comes. Yeah. He lived in one of the houses. He's like, "Hey, you should come check out the television. You're not gonna believe what's going on." So I go and watch TV just as the second plane is hitting the World Trade Center. Wow. It was a really weird time, obviously, for everybody, but, you know, two days, three days later, I'm on a plane with all of the Lions huh. um, going to, I, I remember actually what happened, it was the Dada Ball that was happening, remember the Dada Ball? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was working yeah, yeah, a volunteer yeah. artist on the Dada Ball, and we'd uh-huh. made all of these airplanes oh, as the decor, like huge uh-huh. airplanes, they'd been working on it for weeks, and three days before the Dada Ball, the person in charge said, you know, this isn't bad taste because now it's just it's in the coincidence of it. They've been working on these planes as yeah. the main theme for the Dada Ball involve planes and aviation. And, okay, and then 9-11 happens, so all this work they've been doing, they scrap it. And, but I remember going to the Dada Ball party that night, pretty much staying up all night, and then joining the Lions you know, at the, at the airport the next day, and, and we'd fly into San Francisco airport, and it was empty. You know, It was four days yeah, after yeah. 9-11. People yeah. weren't flying... Uh, it was really, really eerie, but that experience, I really bonded with a lot of the players in uh-huh. the Lions, and then so when it came time to put March 4th together, you know, I needed drummers, and of course, everybody I know plays a djembe, but what I right. need, or, or drum kit, but right. what I needed was, you know, to start off with a drum corps that understood the whole idea behind ensemble playing, where you right. play a part right. that's part of a bigger thing. Right. So, you know, I asked a couple friends that weren't in the Lions, and then I asked, you know, Jenny and Heather and Topher... And so basically, you know, eight out of 10 of our original drummers had either 
either were still playing with the Lions or the hat at some point, yeah. you know, but it really made the whole rhythm section come together very quickly considering when we booked that first show for March 4th, um, you know, we just basically did three rehearsals and yeah. did the show. And then, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, so at that time when we met Brian on the street, there was, there was still some of the March 4th members were still playing with the Lions and it was right. definitely this nice right. little kind of right. love fest overlap kind of thing. Was, and, was Derek Reith playing with you guys then? He was playing with the Lions. The Lions, okay. Yeah. okay. yeah, you know, God, I was just thinking about him two nights ago. Um, yeah. He, uh, because, you know, uh, for people that don't know, you know, he, he passed two years ago. Right. But, like, three months, four months before he passed, I talked to him on the phone because um, he was interested. He was getting a little bit restless, I think, you know, doing yeah. the, the Pink Martini thing and wanted to do something a little bit more wild and had some time off between Pink Martini stuff. And <clears throat> uh -huh. So he wanted to come and play snare with us. Um, yeah. um, and our snare drummer was just exiting. And um, we, we had a strange conversation. He definitely was different than I had known yeah. him before. He was definitely... He, a lot, he, of people, he, a lot of people he, said that. Yeah, he was very manic. I got off... I had to actually... <clears throat> You know, he was just talking some crazy talk. I'm like, well, here's how it works. You get paid this much. He's like, I don't care about the money. I don't want to get paid. I'm like, no, you're, if you're one of the drummers in the band, yeah. this is what we pay. And then we travel on the bus. He's like, oh, I just want to follow you guys around on my motorcycle. I'm like, oh, well, we do a lot of overnight drives. Like, I'm explaining here, like eight hours. Like, yeah. I'm not going to feel safe. And it's not going to be safe for you to be following our tour bus with your motorcycle. Right. You need to be on the tour bus. But I had to, like, yell to interrupt interrupt him sometimes oh, just because he was going on these crazy wild tangents and I got off the phone with him feeling kind of mentally exhausted and being like whoa I'm not sure if this is the right fit he sounds a little manic you know yeah. and then uh yeah that's the last I ever talked to him you know yeah. and, and that's one of those things that runs through your head when you know somebody yeah. somebody passes you know I yeah, yeah it's, it's, just, it's just really the, tragic you know the, he was uh, such a gifted beautiful giving yeah. Yeah. giving human being yeah. and he cared so much <clears throat> about <clears throat> about music mm -hmm. and rhythm yeah. you know he is one of those guys who play in three different bands and still want to take time to jam with somebody you know <laughs> he just loved it were you in town when the lions did their 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 march yeah i was there i was part were of that you, procession you part of that? Yeah, I was, yeah i was there too for his memorial yeah. down yeah. to the waterfront yeah yeah, yeah i was there yeah, yeah was i wasn't playing anything i was just there yeah you know? yeah oh boy well yeah you do something long enough, shit happens. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's really true. It's very, very true. Yeah. It's um, been a crazy year. I mean, this new record we put out, um, you know, we dedicated it to the memory of, you know, six people on yeah, there. Yeah. There's I, six I, people. I six that. people I know have passed away in the last two years. My, you know, dear friend Dave Camp, who's my, right. you know, right-hand man on guitar for the Nowhere Band, you know, right. He, right. he passed last year. Um and, uh, you know, Derek Reith, obviously, you know, Jim Boyer right. um, from uh, Freak Mountain Ramblers, you know, uh -huh. and, uh -huh. you know, it's, and a good friend of mine, Paul Plagans, who was an L.A. musician, uh -huh. that, whose birthday happened to be March 4th. Um, and then, shit, you know, like Lisa Lapine, that just, I You know what? I you know just, why I knew about you? Holy cow. Because of Lisa Lapine. You know how I knew about anybody? <laughs> because of Lisa Lapine? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I didn't even know... It was like, it sounded like it was a freak thing. Like she went in to get well, some procedure and then no, something she, went wrong. She, she had uterine cancer. Yeah, see, I didn't know any of that. And she got on chemo and then she got an infection and it took her. Yeah. Uh, no, we God. had plans. I mean, we were, we were going to do stuff. Uh, we always, I mean, the thing is, 
um, as far as Lisa goes, uh, I wouldn't have had a career here if it wasn't for her. Yeah. Seriously. Man. A lot of people are like that. You know, Billy she was such a, a great like early yeah. advocate for, for March yeah. 4th and the stuff I was yeah, doing. Yeah, I remember. She said, you got to come down to what was that club? Oh, God, just, uh, just on, the, on the, <coughs> block, the block north of Dante's. It was, it was really, uh, it, was, it, was a, um, it was a dance club. Oh. You know that place? Yeah, it was that cheesy place, the Barracuda. Yeah, the Barracuda. But you were playing there. Yeah, yeah. That's when, yeah, this, yeah. we were doing some stuff with Red Bull. It was like 2004, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And she said, you got to come down, because she knew who I, I, I like New Orleans music, right? She said, you got to come down and see these guys. There you go. That is so funny. Yeah, that was I believe 2004. Was some other band with Carlton Jackson playing drums on there, but I don't know. Anyway, so, um, uh, yeah, so there was, there's a big uh, show in her honor. There is? Yeah, on the 13th of November. Oh, I'll have to make a note of that. I will be in town. I am. Um, yeah, see the... Uh, at, at, the, at, at, the, at the Crystal, I'm going to MC. I'm, I'm also going to DJ. And, oh, cool. Uh, at the thing. And uh, there's like a million people are playing. Wow. Yeah, I can only imagine. Well, so she, she did a... She, there's a, a, a One of the things she was working on before she died was a thing with Jeremy Wilson mm-hmm. to have a special section of his, his health insurance for a musician's thing. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Wilson Foundation. That would um, cover... That would cover... Uh, Holistic mm-hmm. medicine, stuff like that. Cause she, she was all into that. So, um, yeah, Jeremy's a great guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's just, it's, yeah, like you said, you know, the older you get, stuff happens. It's just, uh, I'm just yeah. kind of hoping this temporary, you know, wave. Yeah. Yeah. I, sh- I hope it's temporary, you know, I don't know. I had a, uh, my next door neighbor growing up was essentially like my, closer to me than my, my grandparents were, you know, she lived to be 96. Wow. And she, she said in her experiences that like experiences a lot of people passed in their 40s and 50s, and it's sort of like if you were able to make it past that, then you're probably going to go for a little while. I don't know. I like that thought. I mean, I'm almost <laughs> passing that mark. So uh, I'm, I'm well past. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, if we if if uh, we would end this with a tune from the album, what, which one should we end it with? Oh gosh, well. You know, push it back. Scott Stanton Moore on it. It's a short okay. radio length kind of hit. Doesn't matter how long it is. Yeah, it's got some <laughs> vocals. I think I think maybe something with vocals because I think okay. that's what's different about this record than our previous ones is there's a lot more vocals on it, and that's a direction we're we're heading towards. Uh-huh. You know, um, I think a lot of people know us as an instrumental band. Um, so, and we've got some really good singers in the band. Um, yeah, push it back might be good because it kind of you know ties in a little bit what we were talking about. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, congratulations, man. But actually, my favorite track on the thing is the, is the quarter, uh, the quarter, the second that's, tune. You no, know, that's the one I always play on the radio. Yeah, that's actually my favorite one. I just love well, the let's groove. Play that let's one. play that one. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, John. It was nice to see you. Yeah. Thank you. Let's, let's do it again. This was really fun. I'm. I'm uh, yeah. Right. Thanks. I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm yeah. They're not seeing the fact we're shaking hands. (laughs) 